Welcome to Fratello on Air, a podcast from members of Fratello Watches. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Manhattan, aka Frankfurt, Germany. I'm uh, Robert Jan Brewer, and I'm uh, calling in from uh, The Hague in the Netherlands. I don't know what it's like up there, but it is sweltering here in Frankfurt. I checked, and it is, uh, I think it has actually crossed the 100 degree Fahrenheit marker, and it's something like 38 or 39 degrees Celsius. How's it wow. up there? Yeah, here we have uh, just below 30 today. Yeah, it's amazing. I was somewhere the other day where it was 40. It was in Italy and I came back and 30 actually felt cool. So you should uh, you should feel good about 30 right now, which is probably a crazy yeah. thing to say, right? Yeah, well, there was 30 in my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a um, little bit of housekeeping here. And yeah, if we didn't mention it, thanks for tuning in. Um, since, since we went live with our first episode, we are now established on Apple. So if Apple is where you go to download your podcast for Tello on air is there, feel free to leave us a rating or any feedback and yeah, we're, we're now good to go. I think we're on every major platform. So we are on, uh, Apple's podcast. We are on uh, Buzzsprout. We are on SoundCloud and on Spotify. Excellent. So yeah, no excuse for not finding us now. So, um, so uh, some other things um, just to talk about our agenda for episode two. Here, we're going to start off with a with a wrist check, as we always do. Talk a little bit about where we've been because we've been all over in the last several weeks, and then we're going to talk uh, a little bit about Rolex, about steel Rolexes, sports watches and kind of address the the topic that we've addressed on the site before, but it's just seems to be more and more pervasive, just about availability or lack thereof of steel sports models from the big brand. And then we've gotten our first listener question from Instagram user Auto Quartz, which is a cool name. And we're going to talk about which watches mean the most to us. So that's a big topic, but we'll we'll each talk about a couple watches that are pretty important to us, and that that those aren't all the watches that are important to us, but we picked a couple each. So let's kick it off with a wrist check. So Robert Chan, why don't you why don't you start us off? Yeah. So today uh, I'm wearing something that I uh, don't give much uh, wrist uh, wrist time. It's a Rolex Submariner, no date. So a normal Submariner, basically uh, the modern one. So with the ceramic bezel and the beefy lux. Yeah, I thought I just. Uh, Take it from the safe uh, for a change. And uh, I put it on the wrist this morning as I uh, went to the driving range with my stepsister. And I thought I need a watch that can, uh, well, can handle a few swings. And uh, well, it did. It, it, it still runs. <laughs> so that, that's fine. And uh, yeah, I, I hardly give it any uh, use, basically. Um, I don't know exactly why. As you know, Rolex is an easy watch on the wrist. It's uh, The bracelets are very comfortable. Uh, it's a water-resistant watch. Um, it's very uh, legible. It also um, nicely suits the, the topic that we'll, we'll be touching later about uh, availability. Because when I bought this one, that was already an issue in 2017. Yeah. Did you find yourself using the micro adjust today in that heat? Yeah, actually I did. Um, in the late afternoon, I was sitting outside uh, in the garden and I... Uh, I put out a, 
a millimeter or two <laughs> to, <laughs> to make it more comfortable. And I, I mean, that's a really a, a good thing about this uh, this Oyster bracelet that you can uh, easily adjust it. And that, of course, was already the case with my old Rolexes that you can uh, use a little uh, toothpick, uh, yeah. toothpick to uh, to adjust it. But now it's it has become more more easy. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just an easy watch. And um, I mean, for me, this, this Rolex Submariner is a very good watch, but it, perhaps it's also a bit of a boring watch, to be honest, as nothing really happens. I think if you want to have a more exciting watch, perhaps a, a vintage Submariner would do a bit more with a plexi crystal uh, and an aluminum bezel. But just, yeah, it's a, it's a nice uh, beater watch, and it also goes well with a suit. Wow. I, I, and how about yourself? Yeah, I'm not, not going to lie. We didn't plan this, but you mentioned a vintage Sub, and... I was away for a couple of days, um, kind of in a wine area, not far from here. And I just wanted to bring one watch that would just work for the couple of days and something comfortable. And I've actually got a vintage sub, uh, also with no date. So your, your watch's ancestor and it's a 5512 from I think 1967. So this was my dad's watch and wow. Yeah, a watch that deserves a story at some point on Fratello. And I think I'm waiting for my dad, who's actually a pretty good and witty writer. I think he'll, he, he's, he's threatened to write a story about it and how his stupid son at some point traded in the dial and everything and then had to work uh, to find a, a correct dial from the period uh, 10 years later. And anyhow, that, so, so that's on, that was on my wrist all weekend and, you know, it's a significant Very watch, cool. although it's not going to be one yeah. of the two that I mentioned later. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great watch. And just despite the fact that it's lived a life and definitely had some polishing, um, I love it. And it's, yeah, like you said, it goes with everything. So, yeah. Oh, very nice. Did he bought it new, by the way, or no, no, he he got it. Um, he got it probably when it was about. I bet it was ten or twelve years old, and. It's a story that some have heard, and we'll kind of save it. But but uh, but in the end, it uh, it was taken in trade for some dental work because my dad is a now a retired dentist. But yeah. it's a good story that that he can uh, he can fill us on in on some point. So nice, can't wait. Yeah. So okay, so we're on the on a submariner train then today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think both of us probably wished for an ocean to jump into, but we didn't have that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm close to the sea. It's only a few kilometers. I did that yesterday, and I, I actually was in the sea yesterday. But then I was wearing my Ploprof, um, which you mentioned is being discontinued uh, right now. It's the stainless steel one, the modern one. And um, yeah, so I was wearing that one in the sea. So it, it saw some water for the first time and it still uh, runs, I think. Oh. And uh, Yeah, I, I, I hope so. And that's, yeah, it's a great watch. And it was funny when we posted uh, last week on This Week in Watches about the steel Ploprof being discontinued. I think a lot of people were surprised. It's one of those watches that's been in their collection for quite a long time. And you just either don't think about it or people just think it's always been around and going to be around but you know i think you mentioned it was a watch they didn't sell a lot of compared to the titanium version yeah i don't know about the the, the total sales i know that it has been in in, in production for uh, nearly ten, 10 years from 2009 to to this year and i think i really got one of the last ones because uh, when i ordered it they said well it's discontinued but let us see what we can do and uh, well a few weeks later uh, i can i could pick it up the, the retailers and or boutiques they have probably uh 
last in stock. So if they're gone, they're gone and that's it. And then you need to buy uh, uh, the titanium model uh, that has no date and it has a, uh, a different movement because it has no date, but also because it's now a, a master chronometer certified movement, which it wasn't uh, before. Okay. But enough about those. You want to uh, share something about your recent trip? Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about where we've been. And I think the Plow Prof actually plays pretty well. So I've been in a couple places. So, and you, you've been in a couple places you can mention briefly. So maybe we'll go back and forth a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I'll mention and actually I can't really mention much about it at all is I was at an event with uh, Breitling some weeks back and it was a pretty cool event. There were, I guess a little bit over a dozen people who were, who were asked to attend and it was kind of an all day event where we spent time with the Breitling team, including uh, George Kern. And, you know, we, we took a look at, uh, some pretty interesting things on the way and, and just heard a lot more about the brand and what they have in store. And I'm literally legally sworn to secrecy as are all the other attendees from the event. But, you know, what I wanted to leave listeners with and, and our readers as well is that the brand is really in good hands. Um, I, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past, you know, despite Breitling, of course, being popular over the last 10 years, I think for, no, certainly a lot of our readers, the watches were, they were growing and just, just very big and certainly loud. And okay. The Navitimer collection was there, which is always, you know, look back on the brand's history, but you know, there's a more concerted effort now to look back in, into the back catalog and bringing someone aboard like Fred Mandelbaum, watch Fred obviously speaks to that, but yeah, the day was, day was great. It was actually quite a bit of hard work and yeah, they have some really, really exciting things coming up. So that was, uh, that was my trip to Breitling. Wow. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was, uh, well, as you know, um, uh, and the readers probably know as well, we are doing this, uh, this PD Tuesday world tour, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, we had our first PD Tuesday event, uh, earlier this year in Switzerland, uh, when, uh, Omega announced the caliber three, two, one. And then uh, we decided to do some more uh, this year, and we did uh, Milan and then Frankfurt. And last week, uh, I was in Asia. I was in uh, Singapore first, and then in Hong Kong. And um, uh, we had two, two, uh, two big uh, Speed Tuesday events there uh, with our readers. And uh, yeah, it was very nice. A long trip for us, more than 12 hours of flying. And uh, of course, KLM was uh, delayed, uh, as always. Thank you, KLM. And, uh, but the flight itself was nice. I went with uh, Gerard, one of our team members. He made sure that we have uh, everything on uh, on photo and, and video for our uh, reporting, which will probably be online uh, Tuesday. Um, on Tuesday, we had the event in Singapore. Then on Wednesday, we flew, we flew from Singapore to Hong Kong. And um, on Thursday, we had the Hong Kong uh, event. And of course, it wasn't a Tuesday, but it made more sense to do uh, these events back to back basically in, in one week. Sure. And uh, in the end, uh, every day is speedy Tuesday. So uh, why not on a Thursday? So, but that was good. We had a very good crowd. Very amazing. Yeah, I pictures mean, look great. We, they look great. Yeah. And, and when we did the events in, in Europe and in, in Switzerland and in the, uh, Germany and Italy, and we did some events before in London and in, in, in Amsterdam, you kind of know more or less a bit of the crowd and that was a bit different in Singapore and Hong Kong. There are some familiar names, 
but most of the guests were not guests that you bump into, uh, which is in Europe sometimes the case when you're on, at, at different events or visiting Basel World. I mean, all these people are, are, are crazy about watches and uh, they travel a bit in Europe to see these watches or discuss watches or go to, uh, to exhibitions and, and fairs. But um, yeah, so it was a, a new crowd in, in Singapore and, and Hong Kong, but they were amazing, very knowledgeable. Um, we did panel talks and they asked, uh, asked really nice questions, really spot on questions, very qu- quite sharp sometimes. And uh, from Omega, we had uh, Petros, Protopapas, uh, brand, uh, the brand heritage manager from uh, Switzerland. And um, yeah, the, 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 the marketing and PR uh, lady from Omega Switzerland who travels uh, with us. Of course, we have one of the Fratellos there. In this case, it was Gerard for the pictures and, and video. And from NASA, as a special guest, we had uh, the former engineer, uh, Jim Ragan. Um, some people might have heard of him. He did the procurement procedure and the testing of the watches in uh, 65, 64 for, uh, for NASA. And, uh, well, uh, the Speedmaster was obvious, obviously the one, uh, the, the one pick. And um, so he, he tells these stories from uh, back in those days and all the way up to the space shuttle missions where he also did the, the, the qualifying and testing for regarding uh, watches and cameras. And uh, he was also the guy that um, did the procurement for the space pens by Fisher. Oh, okay. Yeah, they needed a pen um, that could write upside down and wasn't, uh, uh, um, how do you say, influenced by the, the like zero gravity. gravity. Yeah. yeah, so the, the little... The little ball on the ballpoint needs to, need, needed to have a pressure. And there was one company and it was called uh, Fisher Pens. And uh, he just called uh, uh, Paul Fisher, uh, then owner of uh, Fisher, uh, Fisher Pens. And, uh, well, they, they tweaked the design a bit. And in the end, they made the, the pen for the astronauts. Um, funny thing is that the cosmonauts from Russia, they just, just used a pencil, <laughs> which also worked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a funny story. But uh, I think, yeah, these pens you can still buy. I think you mentioned them last time or in an article. Yeah, they're, that, they're obviously doing some, well, not obviously, but they're doing some 50th anniversary things exactly. as well. So Yeah. And uh, you can still buy the normal one, which is like $60 or euros, perhaps the same even which is a definitely a nice uh, uh, must-have if you're a Speedmaster fan. I think a Fisher Space Pen belongs on your desk as well. Yeah. I so did. he was there, Jim, Jim uh, Ragan, and he traveled with us from uh, – from, he came from the U.S. I think he flew through Tokyo, then uh, Singapore, and then Hong Kong. And, uh, um, yeah, he's quite uh, – uh, I don't know what his age is, but, um, yeah, he's quite uh, vital, I have to say. <laughs> And uh, he remembers a lot. And I think for the guests, it's just awesome that they can hear these stories still from first hand. And that's, that's of course, something amazing. And in, um, in uh, Frankfurt, we had Charlie Duke speaking at the Speedy Tuesday event, who was on the moon. And that's, yeah, that, that's really, that, that gave a, a blast. That was really amazing to, uh, to hear someone that actually stood on the moon uh, talking about it, sharing his experience and stories. I think the next generation... Uh, have to hear these things uh, from us, basically. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll go back sooner than later, but for sure. I mean, this is really, these guys are, there weren't many. Yeah, heroes. So, yeah. Heroes and. Yeah. So it was amazing, but the, the, it was tiring to, to travel to back and forth to Asia. I, I know that you travel a lot uh, for your work to, to Asia as well. And uh, I have to say, uh, um, 
I had more issues with jet lag and uh, lack of sleep in in uh, uh, in Asia than back home. Mm. I uh, yeah, I, I slept a bit on the on the way back in the plane, and I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm getting there. I have to say, it doesn't really uh, affect me here. So, um, but the, yeah, it was a busy week. Yeah, no, it's at. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie Lost in Translation, but I've been there before, where you're just up at crazy hours and three, four days in, you feel like you've slept, I don't know, two or three hours a night. And yeah, exactly. It's a wild feeling. You just start, uh, <laughs> yeah, your, your brain just isn't working, uh, as it normally does. You think all kinds of crazy thoughts at that stage. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Thursday was really the, 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 the sleep kicked in a bit. So it was a bit uh, tiresome, but yeah, the events were great and I'm looking forward to the next ones. We will soon, open the registration for the New York event, which oh, will be September 17th. So make a note of that. And um, Japan is also now known and it will be October 8th. Cool. So if you want to go, if you want to join us there, want to be part of the Speedy Tuesday event world tour, um, uh, register, we'll make sure to send out uh, the, the opening of the registration through our newsletter. So you'll be first. And then afterward, we will publish it on the website and uh, Facebook and Instagram and so on. And um, yeah, it will be uh, will be fun. And those are the last two for this year. And then I hope for next year we can do another round. Yeah, that's great. So, so I uh, I'll bring up very briefly. I had the opportunity last week to join Omega. I feel like Omega has really been uh, boy their their uh, PR department must just be working tons of overtime, but. We, um, yeah, last Thursday, so I had the opportunity on the 20th of June to go to London for an event that, you know, the invite, basically all you could see was that it was something to do with the ocean and, and serious depth, but none of us really knew what we were in for. And, you know, I was following on Instagram and I saw Jason Heaton, who writes for Hodinkee from time to time and host the, uh, the gray NATO with James Stacy. He was, uh, packing his bags and on his way to London. So I said, Hey, are you going over for this mysterious Omega thing? And sure enough, he was. So, um, it's always nice to see him. And yeah, we, we both, uh, kind of walked into this event, which was, I guess, attended by 35 or, or 40 people, of course, several Omega people there, but they had press from familiar around the world and everything from watch magazines to, you know, things like the the Wall Street Journal and uh, some other large, large newspapers and magazines. And it was there that they, they debuted this uh, Seamaster Planet Ocean Ultra Deep, uh, along with uh, Victor Vescovo, who's seeking to take a reusable submersible down to the deepest spot in each of the five oceans. And in fact, he broke... James Cameron's record from, I think it was 2013. Uh, I th I, yeah, 2012 or 2013, I, I think, with the... The, the, the Rolex... Uh, deep Sea Challenge. Sea Dweller. And yeah, and yeah so it was, uh, it was a great event. Uh, Omega did the press release at the British Museum and in the auditorium down in the basement. And, and then we... Uh, we had a dinner later where they actually walked around and, and let us handle the watches. So there were three of these built that actually went down to the depths. And 
you know, it, it was a watch that, uh, yeah, 52 and a half millimeters in diameter, 55 with the crown, you know, was clearly purpose built for this mission, but it, it ushered in some interesting technologies such as using liquid metal to bond the crystal to the case and also uh, forgetting the technology, but it also brought in some pretty interesting styling traits such as the the lugs, which were, were, were very different. And then it was also a planet ocean without the helium valve and without a date. And, you know, not to mention finally that the colors uh, of the watch, kind of a, a really nice aqua blue uh, for the numbers and some of the highlights uh, made for just a really attractive watch. And, you know, Reynold Ash Lehman was, was there with us and, you know, he's characteristically um, uh, fantastic when it comes to uh, getting tough questions and, and not giving much away, but he certainly got an earful on how much uh, people like the, lack of a date and lack of the helium valve. So let's see what happens. I mean, he was very, very clear that 2019 is appropriately the year of the Speedmaster because of the moon landing, but maybe in 2020, we'll see something uh, coming Seamaster-wise that that incorporates some things here. And that that's purely speculation. There was nothing that Omega said about that, but we can only hope because I'd really love to have a... Uh, a Seamaster on my shopping list, aside from the on again, off again, Sedna Gold and Steel 300M. But this this was a this was a cool looking watch. So let, let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, I I, I liked it as well. Um, uh, it was a concept, of course, and it was used by the divers and um, or by the diving. Um, yeah, the submersible and the and the but, yeah. little rovers it had. Yeah. So some people thought it was actually a watch that came into production. If I saw some comments. Uh, it's too thick or I don't know what it's not for sale I tried <laughs> and, uh, I thought it was I tried <laughs> yeah I can imagine <laughs> I thought it was very clear uh, communicated but I think some people just look at a picture and give a comment yeah. um, but I indeed like you I do hope they will come up with a planet ocean that will have some some influencer from this watch um, I'm not really a huge planet ocean fan as the normal models I have to admit and for me one of the nicer Planet Oceans was one of the early ones with the 2500 movement that was used by uh, Daniel Craig in one of the, his earlier James Bond appearances. The current ones are really not my uh, cup of tea, but uh, yeah, if they can o- incorporate something of this really cool ultra deep one, like the Manta Lux or something, that would be really neat. That was a feature that I really liked about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and in the end, I mean, I also have to say, you know, Omega really knows how to put on event. It was flawless. It was smooth. And all of those things also just help you, uh, yeah, enjoy the brand more and really take a closer look at the product for what it is. And yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And yeah, like you said, let's hope for something, hoping, hope for something great that comes of it. And I think it actually segues pretty well into our next topic because Omega is probably, I, I would think, probably the brand that benefits most from uh, this next brand that just doesn't ever seem to have any watches in stock. So yeah, we we thought we would uh, we would talk a little bit and a little bit yeah. about the the topic of Rolex and steel sports watches and the fact that they're they're basically unobtainium. Um, yeah. And we, it's... We, we actually wrote a, a lengthy article about it last year. And um, if you go to fratellowatches.com, you, you can look it up. 
Um, it was about uh, the, the non-availability of Rolex watches, basically. And uh, I don't want to rehearse the, the entire write-up. But that, what I can share is, for instance, the watch that I'm wearing today, the, the Submariner. It was end of 2017. And I just wanted to buy a new Rolex for my collection just to, to have something modern uh, on the wrist from them. I have some, some older models uh, that I don't really want to, to touch or damage anymore. And I just wanted to have a modern Rolex. So I, I went to the dealer, asked for a GMT Master uh, initially. And uh, they just laughed a bit and said, well, it's not really here. And we don't take you on a waiting list. And that's it. And that was a bit of a yeah uh, letdown, to be honest. Then I called a contact at a dealer, Rolex dealer, and uh, well, he basically told me the same that uh, it's you have to wait for a long time. It, it doesn't matter if it's a Submariner or GMT Master, and so on. And that yeah, that was a bit bit of a strange thing. I mean, the, the normal sports models were always available always somehow, right? and uh, per, except for the Daytona, and perhaps except for the models that were just introduced. I remember, and it also shows that um, I'm getting old. Um, when the Yachtmaster in steel and platinum was uh, released, um, I believe it was 99. The first Yachtmaster was 92. So this was 97 or 99. I think for the first first two years, you just couldn't get it. I think that only for a few new models, this was the case. But now it's the case for every steel sports model. And even um, Datejust, they have Datejust in steel. But if you want a specific configuration, you can just buy what's there. It's It's not... Uh, it's it's not all lined up anymore. Where you can just uh, pick the one you like best. No, you have to you pick the one that's that's simply available. So when I want, wanted to buy a, a new Rolex end of 2017, uh, there was simply there was there, there was none. There were none available, and then I had to seek out for a, a gray market dealer um, uh, of local time. It's a, a Dutch dealer, local dash time dot nl. He, uh, he he buys and sells uh, Rolexes and some other brands, but mainly Rolex. And uh, he had uh, two Submariners uh, in stock from 2013, one with date, one without date. And uh, I went for the one without date. And there the price was uh, was uh, quite okay. It was uh, on the list. But I think today, if you look at a Submariner, uh, I don't know, no matter which, uh, which version, it's just not available. And if you can find one, it's definitely not on the list, I think. So it's 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 yeah it's quite crazy and um, I think for customers it's getting uh, frustrating. I think for the person who, who who just wants a Rolex, I think they are willing to spend uh, perhaps over retail. But I think for the the normal watch guys, I think they uh, are slowly starting to turn away a bit from the from the brand. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I mean, it, I'm like you. You know, the aside from a Daytona. You pretty much could just walk in, or you know, tell if it wasn't there because they just sold it. They they would give you a call pretty quickly. And you know, when I moved to Europe back in, I think it was August 2011, I told myself, "Hey, this is a big deal moving to Europe." I was an expat, which you know, kind of meant that I had some disposable income. And I said, "All right," I said, "I'm going to get that new orange-handed Explorer too," which I think was released earlier in the year. And it wasn't out when I moved over, but it came out a couple months after that. And I still remember the one of the ADs here in Frankfurt had both in the window. I went in and tried it on, didn't like it, so I didn't buy it. But mm-hmm. um, I flew to 
I think around Christmas time, I flew to Louisiana at the time where my sister was living and they had a couple Rolex dealers in, in Shreveport. And <laughs> I walked into the first one and I guess this was still kind of at the tail end of the economy recovering in the US after you know the big global recession. And I'll never forget, they had a black steel Daytona in the showcase. And I thought, wow, you know, that's that's pretty incredible. So I went to the next dealer. They had a white steel Daytona in the showcase. And they ultimately, yeah, they also had a, a 14060M Submariner, which is what I really wanted and ended up buying because I figured it was going to get canceled the next year, which it did. But, you know, there again, I knew what I wanted and I could find it. And it was really, you know, it was a case of, hey, you know, I saved up my money. I wanted this watch and I was able to go do it. And that to me is the most frustrating thing I think that that I encounter because at work, I'm kind of known as a guy who knows watches and people will come up and ask me, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Or, you know, could you help me get one of these? And, you know, let's say four times out of five, I get a WhatsApp message from a colleague who sends me, <laughs> they send me the Pepsi GMT and I'm like, oh man, you know, this yeah, is, good luck. you know, here, here's a person that doesn't know watches, but they know they like it and they think, Hey, I just turned 40 or I had a baby or I got promoted and I want my first or probably my only nice watch and a Rolex. And I have to tell them, yeah, you can wait five years and maybe you'll get it. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it really is. And at first I thought they must, they, they, they must go somewhere. I mean, it's not in Europe because that's where we are. Um, the, the U S you probably know better than, than me, but I was last week in Asia and also in Hong Kong where the Rolex dealers are on every corner of the street. Hmm. Nothing, nothing, no. only day just and day dates and, uh, not the stuff that, 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 that has anything to do with, with sports watches. And, um, I feel it's just uh, weird. And I also don't know what Rolex wants to achieve with this. I mean, they. I asked them in in Basel uh, during their our Basel World appointment with them, and um, I said, "What's the point of showing these watches if you can't deliver anyway?" And it was a bit of a of a perhaps rude or blunt question, but I mean, it is what it is. And um, um, they just told me, uh, "Yeah, that's a big problem, but uh, we don't want to, uh, to to make more watches and do concessions regarding quality." But I felt that it's a bit of a yeah uh, lazy excuse. Um, but what they do want to, to achieve, I really don't know. Because if you want a Daytona, you go to Chrono 24 and there, there are like 300 yeah. uh, available brand new on the gray market. So if if their policy is not delivering watches to, to fight gray market, I, I, I think they achieved op- the opposite because the gray market dealer seems to be the persons who are getting these watches instead of the customers. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I think historically with Rolex, and I mean, this will come up in one of the watches we talk about later. About those that are important to us, but you know, twenty odd years ago or thirty years ago, when there were hot Rolexes that were hot in certain parts of the world because either an actor wore them or something like that, I, you know, Rolex was always stated to be extremely tough on their ADs, you know, if they, if they caught any kind of, whether it was discounting or doing something like that, you know, they, these ADs risk losing their, you know, losing the franchise. And, but I still think that, you know, these watches, if you're an AD and you're, you know, kind of forced to keep a certain amount of inventory around, 
and you don't always get a choice on what you're going to bring in, you know, the day that you get that GMT Pepsi, it's got to be tempting to turn it around for nearly double. It has to be tempting. And trust me, they do. Yeah, exactly. So authorized retailers are currently offering these watches with a premium to their best customers, so-called best customers. And that's what's really bothering me because in my opinion, you are not any better than a gray market dealer that way. And I think it's really hurting the brand. And uh, I feel that's a pity. Even uh, I think a few weeks ago, it was that uh, one of our readers, they, they called me. Um, somehow my phone number is somewhere on the website. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he told me that um, he went to an AD and he got a, yeah, he, he was sent away again after asking at, for a, a Batman at the time. And uh, he went, in the end, he went to a gray market dealer who had three of them lined up and they were stamped by the dealer that he visited. So already sold. And that's, a, and that's a sore thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really hurting the brand's image. And the, and I don't, I can't believe that this is what, uh, that, what Rolex is uh, aiming to, to have or to achieve, basically. I yeah, they, they shouldn't really be. And, take care of this. Yeah. And I mean, if, if they're not overtly charging more, uh, then, you know, I had it with a friend who bought a sub date, a black one recently, and was on one of the Canary Islands at an AD. And he got access to that watch because he bought his wife a steel and gold with diamonds Speedmaster uh, automatic. So that was the only reason he got access to the watch. So it was, if they're not marking it up, they're, a lot of them are kind of suggesting that you buy another watch, right? So Yeah, it's the leverage perhaps. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy, a crazy thing. And also... Um, I mean, Rolex is it's it's not a Patek or it's not a Lange Unserne. It's a it's a mass produced watch. So if they if they want to fulfill the demand, they they can just switch on the machines a bit longer, I guess, or make um, something else instead of something else, right? Like- yeah, exactly. But uh, this is this is uh, uh, a decision that that they made. They made this decision uh, with full conscience, I guess. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, let, let's see what it what it will uh, result in, and uh, perhaps we are not seeing the bigger picture here. Um, but I think for brands like like Omega and for Breitling and IWC and perhaps some other brands who blow even or AP and so on, I think these are good times. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And you know, if you look at Omega and some of the other brands you mentioned, you know, arguably they're making the best quality stuff they've ever made. So it's. Uh, I hope people go take a look because there are some other great watches out there. And frankly, um, yeah, if, if, uh, there's more, there's more out there than a Rolex. I mean, it's a really good brand. It's a very good watch. They never failed on me. Uh, um, but yeah, if, if this is the case, if you need to pay premium to, 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 in order to own one or to wait five years, I would go away. I would really, yeah. uh, uh, Buy something else. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. good. So good. Let's um, we will touch this topic more in the future, I guess. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> let's keep it at this for now. Yeah. yeah. So let's go to our uh, reader's question from uh, Auto Quartz. Is yeah. his uh, Instagram name? Yeah. So he asks us um, watches that uh, means the most to us. That's right. And so. um, he says watches, so plural, and that's good because there I have I have several, but uh, let's let's stick to two. Absolutely. So do you Otherwise, want me to kick it off or do you want to kick podcast. it off? Yeah. 
No, kick it off. All right. So, yeah, the first one that I've got here, I wrote about several years ago on the site, and this is my Explorer 14270. And it is a, uh, yeah, this is the model that that followed up the legendary 1016. And, you know, it was a watch that I bought really very soon after I graduated from college. And I moved to a small town in Ohio that <laughs> I still remember going to the mall and they had two Rolex ADs in the small mall directly across from each other. <laughs> wow. And yeah, and believe me, no problem on getting steel sports watches back then. But but this Explorer was actually a tough find because it was a watch that was famously worn by an actor in Japan at the time. And you know, for a watch that I think retailed at something like twenty eight fifty, they were selling for a couple thousand over that in Japan. So I was fortunate that um, I walked in that day and actually found out about the watch through my dad because he had looked at one for for a couple of years and kind of had gone back and forth on whether to buy one. But um, there I was in this mall. I had a friend with me who was visiting. I grew up with and. It's never a good thing when you've got a friend with you who uh, says, oh, yeah, you should go do it. And, uh, yeah, I ended up walking out with that with that Rolex. And that's the one that, yeah, I wore basically for 13 years in a row with very few other things taking up wrist time. And it's still a fantastic watch. I mean, 36 millimeters, which a lot of people today push back on. But, you know, that is the classic Rolex size. And it's just a great watch that kind of like the Submariner – can go anywhere, can be worn with anything. And I think, you know, keeps perfect time. It's never had a problem. And yeah, I think just the significance of graduating from school and, and buying that on my own, um, yeah, has made that, made that a really special watch to me. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, uh, I, I, uh, I know the watch quite well. I bought one, uh, um, successor, the one, one, four, two, seven, Oh, not sure when it was introduced. I bought it for my wife in 2008 as a, a yeah gift uh, uh, for uh, proposing uh, uh, to to marry me, mm-hmm. and uh, I had uh, the case back uh, engraved. And uh, she, yeah, she, she wears it quite a bit, and uh, yeah, I really love that watch. For me, that's one of the cleanest Rolexes out there. I have been very tempted to buy the 39 for myself. Uh, I'm a bit taller than you, um, so 36. Yeah, I have a Datejust and 36. I have some other watches, even smaller, but I think the 39 looks a bit better on me. But it just doesn't have that perfect uh, dimensions ratio to the design ratio yeah, uh, that you. the 36 millimeter has. I'm with so you. I, I always. Um, uh, resist the temptation so to speak yeah i it, yeah it's I, I still think the explorer is a it's a watch that uh i, I don't know what i could liken it to maybe an old air-cooled bmw motorcycle or something it's a it's a type of thing that people who normally don't like a certain brand they like that so yeah. you know i had a good friend who was really outspoken he did not like Rolex watches. He didn't like what they, the types of people he felt were associated with him, but he loved the Explorer. So yeah, yeah it's a, still a great watch. And if I, you know, for some reason, uh, you know, we're left with, with that one watch to wear, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst choice. So. 
Yeah. And, and the other watch, you picked another one? Yeah, I did. Um, and boy, this really sounds like in light of our last conversation that I'm, uh, well, what what I was wearing on my wrist today, what I just mentioned and what we spoke about, it sounds like I'm really a Rolex homer here. But, you know, the other one that's, that's significant for me is a, uh, it's a Rolex uh, Datejust uh, 36 millimeter steel model with the steel, I guess they call it the engine turn bezel from 1996. And it's significant. I have seen that one, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the light, yeah. light blue one uh, yeah. or light, it has a blue dial. And our friend Paul, the diva, did the work yeah. on it. So, and, and Wearing his Gucci loafers. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's significant because my, um, my father and my aunt, uh, I should say my parents and my aunt, bought it for my grandfather's 80th birthday. So I can kind of tie it to my grandfather or I can tie it to my parents, uh, the rest of my family. And when I turned 40, I ended up getting that watch because my grandfather had passed away a couple of years before. And it still has the chipped crystal. I, I've not touched it aside from getting it serviced because I really wanted it just the way he had it. And a funny story is that when I sent it to Paul for servicing, um, he shot me a note and he said, you know, Mike, he's like, the, the watch is in great condition. He goes, but I got to tell you something. He's like, was your grandfather a fan of green sweaters? And I thought, hmm. I said, let me think about this. And then it came to me. So my grandfather was a, uh, was a dentist as well. And famously, he would take some green um, waxed floss and put it underneath the watch and while it was on his wrist. And basically, if he were out for dinner, you know, he would slip away to the uh, to the restroom and floss. He was just uh, addicted to it. And clearly, like a lot of people, <laughs> he kind of forgot to close down the crown, especially as he uh, got into an older age. And yeah. some of that fuzz somehow got in there. And <laughs> so it, it ate away at the dial a little bit around the date aperture, which I have to laugh at. But you know, Paul was like, do you want me to replace something or look for a dial? And I said, no, I said, that was his watch. That's the way he kept it. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a really funny story. So yeah, I'm also, uh, in this case, more or less a mono brand guy today, yep. um, two Omegas, also one that relates to my, uh, my, my grandfather and it goes quite a way back. He bought it in 69, February 6th. Uh, I still have the papers and the box. Yeah. It goes even a, a, a bit further, uh, uh, uh back in history because um, my grandparents, they used to have a bridal boutique where they sold gowns and uh, uh, that was in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And at some point they uh, they sold this uh, boutique because uh, some uh, health issues with my uh, grandmother, I think she has like a hernia uh, surgery done. And it's not like today where it's just a, a one day uh, surgery in the hospital where you have to stay one night. Um, but then I think you were... Uh, uh, for weeks you were on the bed and yeah. Uh, yeah and from that point on she had some back problems uh, and so on for the rest of her life and i think so they sold the the, the, the bridal uh, boutique and uh, they made some money with it and they bought some some jewelry and uh, two watches and uh, my grandfather was someone who put a lot of time and effort into researching things before he bought stuff whether it was cars or cameras or even furniture he loved the danish design 
um, he put a lot of effort and research into that. And uh, back in those days, there was no uh, internet. So it was uh, brochures and stuff. Um, but his father already bought a constellation a few years before. So I think that also might have influenced his, his uh, decision a bit. So he bought a constellation in 69 and my grandmother bought a, a Lady Matic, um, which funnily uh, enough, it's still in the, in the family as well. And uh, my wife bought a Lady Matic last year and I don't think she even knows that my grandmother had one as well. Um, so that, uh, that is a nice uh, a circle that, uh, that closes. Um, but yeah, my, my grandfather wore it for 42 consecutive years until he passed away in 2011, uh, right before Christmas, of course. And um, so I, I inherited this watch. My father has the constellation of his grandfather, um, who, who passed away just before I was born, so I never uh, knew him. Um, so I got it I, the, uh, with box and papers, and uh, there was just one thing. I think I got it early 2012, and uh, the dial was was bad. So you could, the, the constellation uh, wording on a dial was a bit smudged, and uh, but it still r- ran. And so I had to watch uh, restored by uh, by Paul, and so technically it was awesome, but the dial was a bit ruined, mm. and it it took me years, and I don't think think I'm even exaggerating when I say it. it's probably five or, or six years that it took me to decide whether I want to have a replacement dial. And I had a replacement dial. I bought a similar watch with a similar dial, but it was to, to have it replaced. And I put it in my grandfather's watch, but it, it didn't give the, the same feeling. Mm-hmm. When the original dial is out, it just it, it lost a bit of the, the magic. So I took it out again or had it taken out. And then I made the decision to, uh, to say... Uh, Okay, Paul, let's have the dial restored. So let's do, have it redone. And normally this is something I would never advise anyone to do with a watch. But in this case, uh, I thought if they can do it really well um, and use the same hour markers, it has like these gold hour markers with Onyx. It was the luxury version or grand Lux version. I don't know exactly what the official name is. And... Um, so he found a company in uh, in Germany. There are two or three companies that are quite good, and uh, he found one. He said uh, is the best. So so they take off all the uh, our markers, the hands, and so on, and they do an exact reprint of the of the dial with, with set uh, uh, official certified chronometer, uh, automatic, and the word Omega, and and then they do a, a lacquer finish again, and then they put on the the, the applied. Uh, what is the stick markers? Mm-hmm. So it came back and it looked like new. It was absolutely, absolutely stunning. So yeah, that, that's one of my absolute favorite watches. I rarely wear it and mainly because I just don't want to lose it. Do it on I, Christmas usually, don't you? Yeah, I wear it on Christmas. Then I put a picture on uh, on, uh, on Instagram or Facebook and uh, I'm wearing that as proof that I'm wearing the watch actually. And then I get a note from my father that he's proud that I'm wearing this watch again. And uh, and there's a gold bracelet with it. It, it was on a Milanese uh, bracelet, like this woven gold bracelets. But they had the tendency to uh, to uh, yeah to to um, how do you say to have some wear, and that they would become really sharp. So it would tear up his uh, his, uh, his shirts basically his cuffs. So at some point in the 70s, he had the bracelet swapped for a, like a custom made crazy bracelet with all, a lot of links. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I wear it on that one. Um, I had to uh, to add some of the original links. My grandfather, yeah, he uh, he lost some weight over the years. He, he 
he was 92 in the end and uh so it's quite small but uh yeah i had some of the original links and yeah i wear it on on christmas and it's uh it's a really neat watch and i think this one uh, means a lot to me um the other one also an omega is a speedmaster uh i think i mentioned in the in our first podcast it's a it's the re-edition Omega called it a replica in uh, in 97 and 98 when they introduced it. Uh, it's a bad uh, name choice, I think. I think later on when they did the poster in 2017 for the 60th anniversary of the Speedmaster, they renamed it very sneaky. They they called it the the, the relaunch or something and oh, not okay. a, the replica as it was called. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, the 57, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's the, the Moonwatch case, but with a Speedmaster only dial and with applied logo and the, the steel uh, bezel and the broad arrow hands. And the reason why it's special to me, because I got it for my first Father's Day in 2013 for my uh, wife and daughter. And uh, so, yeah, that means a lot to me. And I think if I need to, like you, if you say, if you want to pick one watch that you have to work with, perhaps I wouldn't pick the one from my grandfather, but because I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's from 69. So it's quite old. Uh, It's 50 years old. So, yeah, I think it's not suitable anymore for everyday use, to be honest. Although when I pick it up, it starts running. It's, right it's unbelievable. The, the movements are awesome. It's like this copper-colored caliber 564 with a calendar, and these movements are simply unbeatable. Yeah. Yet, I think for daily use, I would pick the Speedmaster 57 because I think uh, size-wise, and it's steel, and I have the steel bracelet, although I wear it on, uh, on a leather strap most of the time. It, it, I think f- that would be a daily wearer for me if I had to pick uh, only one watch that I could keep. That would be the one, yeah. So, but also from an emotional standpoint, I think these two watches are my most important ones. I have some others, also non-Omega. Yes, people, I also have non-Omega watches. Um, <laughs> I, and I have non-Rolex, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one, one of my other watches that I'm really fond of is a Rolex Dages that I got from my uh, graduation in uh, 2003 uh, from my mom, um, which I, I hardly wear, but yeah, it's a special watch as well. So I have a couple of special watches, but I have... When I have to pick two, it, it, it are these uh, these two watches, two Omegas. Yeah, we we debated going with three, and you kind of snuck that third one in there. But uh, yeah, good, it, eh? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, there, there's probably I think uh, let's call it two two five slot watch rolls would do it for me. Uh, that would really. <laughs> And, and maybe even one, yeah. one, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's Som- sometimes I have to, it's, I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm super jealous about guys <laughs> that have... can live with just one watch. Yeah. I'm, I really am as well. I mean, I, I hear more and more people talking about kind of purging their collection just to feel uh, unburdened. And yeah. I, on the one hand, I kind of wish I could do that. On the other hand, I'm too much of a collector of things to, to yeah. just, flat out do that but me too yeah it's so i hope this uh this answered uh, the question of auto quartz a bit and we got got in some more questions but also for time's sake yeah let's 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 see in the future how many questions we can do per uh, per show and if you have questions just send us a mail at info at fratellawatches.com yeah so and thank you again auto quartz from from sending that in and as mentioned, just keep sending them or if you have questions or if you have a theme that you'd like us to cover as well. So with that, RJ, I think we've got a we've got a wrap, don't we? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So thanks again for tuning in to episode number two of Fortello on Air. We'll be back hopefully in a couple of weeks with episode three. And 
yeah, hope you all have a cool week and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.